Bao Yu had been studying the spring slumber painting on Qin Shi's wall all this time, and rereading the couplet by Qin Guan on the scrolls at each side of it. The coldness of spring has imprisoned the soft buds in a wintry dream. The fragrance of wine has intoxicated the beholder with imagined flower scents. As he did so, the memory returned of that earlier afternoon when he had slept in that very same room and dreamed about the land of illusion. He was musing on the contents of that dream when he suddenly became aware of the words that Qin Shi was saying. They pierced his heart like the points of a thousand arrows. Great tears welled up in his eyes and rolled down his cheeks. Xi Feng, seeing him, was herself deeply affected. But fearing that the sight of his grief might make Qin Shi even more distressed, whereas the declared purpose of their visit had been to cheer her up, she rallied him lightly on his tears. Don't be such a baby, Bao Yu. It's really not that serious. Sick people always say things like that. Besides, she's still young, and when you are young you can shake an illness off in no time at all. You mustn't let yourself think such stupid things, she said turning to Qin Shi. You'll make yourself worse. That's fine. Okay, uh, <clears throat> and we're back. Uh, Kevin Wilson here, joined as always by the sagely William Jones. Hello. This is rereading the stone. Will, are you ready for chapter eleven? I am so ready. It's just been spring, uh, mid autumn festival uh, here in Hong Kong, and so the moon is it's full and bright, uh, and everyone is carrying uh, colorful lanterns everywhere and eating mooncakes. So it's a you know perfect setting to be uh, delving into this novel. That is awesome. That's some that's inspiration if I've ever heard it. Uh, I started this year a new mid-autumn festival tradition of translating one poem about the moon. Uh, so I'm going to try to keep this up for however long I can, and hopefully I will have you know in a, in a decade or so uh, a number of wonderful moon poems. And you can see how you progress over that time. Yes, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, have the have the bad ones at the beginning. <laughs> Not tempted to do it for any other festivals. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> probably probably too much work. Yes. Um, so, do you want to start with uh, first impressions, or should we do a a quick over uh, a quick review of the last chapter? Sure. Let's let's just have a reminder of how we got to here. So, in the previous chapter. At the very beginning, we're dealing with the fallout of the chapter before that, which is where all of the schoolboys, including our protagonist, Jia Baoyu, his friends, Qian Zhong, and various others, end up in a, in a kind of like, you know, like in a hockey match, 
when uh, in ice hockey, like two of the players start <laughs> fighting and then both teams benches, like all of them join in and the full, you know, the entire, you know, rink is covered in players fighting. I think they call that like a bench clearing fight. And that's basically what happens in the context of a, of a, a Chinese Qing dynasty school in, in <laughs> chapter nine. And so at the beginning of the previous chapter, we're dealing with the fallout from that. Uh, one of the other schoolboys, Joki Jin, is uh, is very aggrieved. He feels like um, he was unfairly blamed for his part in the fight. Uh, and he complains to his mother about it, who in turn tells her sister-in-law, Mrs. Huang, who's outraged and decides to go and complain to Yu Shi, who is one of the most important figures in the, the Ning branch of the Jia clan, which is the kind of the central household of the of the book. And she storms in there, you know, full of uh, righteous anger. But she's very quickly disarmed because Yoshi begins talking about how Qin Shi, another one of the women of the of the household, uh, the wife of uh, Jia Rong, is uh, very sick, and nobody can explain why. Uh, and does she know any good doctors? Sadly, she doesn't, and she goes off on her way. But fortunately, somebody else, through a friend called Feng Ying manages to find a good doctor, Dr. Zhang. And in this chapter, Dr. Zhang comes around, examines Qin Shi, diagnoses her as suffering from a, a, a particular illness and prescribes um, a rather detailed medicine. And the only other thing that happens in the chapter is uh, we hear about preparations for a party to celebrate the birthday of uh, Jia Jing, who is the patriarch of the Ning branch of the Jia clan, but who some time ago decided to abandon the material world and become a kind of <laughs> a Taoist. Uh, so they're going to have a party for his birthday, but he's actually not going to be there. Uh, and he specifically asked them not to come around and give him presents or anything. And then in this chapter, the majority of the, of the subject matter covers that, that party, but also a significant amount is de uh, devoted to uh, the ill Qin Shi, who was visited by uh, Wang Xifeng, uh, Peppercorn Feng, uh, who is, um, she is one of the kind of more important female uh, figures in the Rong branch of the Jia clan, so the, the, the other kind of important branch. And so a lot of time is devoted to her visit, seeing Qin Shi, you know, asking after her health and so on and so forth. And then towards the end, once she, she leaves Qin Shi behind, she is uh, accosted in one of, the, one of the gardens in the mansion by um, Jia Rei, who's another man of the Jia household. And we heard about him during the school the schoolroom fight because he was essentially substitute teacher at the time. He's the grandson of Jia Dai Ru, who is the normal teacher, but he had to go off on business that day. Uh, and so Jia Rei was standing in. Um, but he is lacking in authority, lacking in any real morals. And because of his lack of, I, I suppose it's kind of lack of moral fiber, we're supposed to understand it, I suppose. <laughs> He was unable to impose order on the schoolroom. Um, anyway, Wang Xifeng has this encounter with him, and it's very clear that he is stricken with her and is trying to encourage her to uh, have an affair with him. And that's more or less where we leave it. Okay. This chapter, yeah, it's not really a party chapter. All the action kind of takes place uh, behind the scenes of the party. But it's it's almost as if you can hear you know, the celebration in the background. Uh, I thought yeah, this was a absolutely. pretty cool effect 
maybe it's just my own kind of uh I feel like the best part of a party is when you get to go away from the main part of the party and you uh you know talk to someone more intimately on the side it's kind of a nice I really like that contrast that these kind of events in our modern setting uh produce yeah and and, and in fairness you know I got the impression that several of the guests seem perhaps slightly bored with the entertainment at the party. Mm. So you're right. Maybe the best time is being had by people away from the, the kind of center. And what's interesting actually is that the center is itself uh, missing the object for which the party is dedicated. So it's basically, uh, you know, the birthday of an absent member. So it's a, it's kind of a birthday in absentia, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And that's definitely, uh, I, I think, kind of symbolically significant here, that this is kind of a perverse celebration. I mean, perverse, depending on how you how you evaluate um, the scene and how you evaluate traditional morals and, and so on and so forth. But it's mm. kind of a perverse separation, a, a perverse celebration of an absence of a patriarch. That's definitely part of the commentary. And how you interpret that maybe depends on what, what kind of values you, you bring to the text. So shall we get into it? For sure, yeah. So I guess it begins basically with the question of, well, how do we how do we throw a birthday for somebody who doesn't want to celebrate? And so what they decide to do is Jia Jing, the patriarch, has said he will not attend the party. Uh, and he said if they try to come to his Taoist monastery retreat, wherever it is that he, he has kind of sequestered himself, he says he will not see them, you know? Yes. Uh, he won't host them if they come round to try and have a party there. So instead they decide, um, the other members of the family decide that they'll send him some gifts and they will all do a koto in his direction. Mm. So, you know, they'll all <laughs> get down on their hands and knees and, and tap their heads to the floor um, while pointing in the direction of, of wherever he's located. He's like Mecca. He is, yeah. Without wanting to be sacrilegious, this is a kind of weird sort of aping of, um, yeah, other religious tradition. Um, and um, he also requests that they print 10,000 copies of um, a particular book that he clearly considers to be, um, you know, very, very important or worthy. It's called Divine Rewards. And we imagine it's some kind of Taoist text. My impression was that it's it's his text, is it not? Oh, I see. It's his own. I see. Yeah, which makes him such a a really funny character. He he's a um, <laughs> he's kind of like a I, I don't know. He's a bit of an intellectual, I guess. Um, yeah. So he he wants ten thousand copies printed and then distributed to for free. Well, they're they're for they're for free distribution. So presumably, it's uh, to me, it kind of faintly suggests like uh, uh, rich people writing a book that they want to distribute for the improvement of the poor that was kind of like a slightly patronizing paternalism um oh, is, the way I, is the way i understood it but 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 maybe you have a different view i wasn't sure maybe he was planning on giving it to all the leading dallas experts maybe having a copy d delivered to the imperial library and so on and so forth. but also i think yeah the idea would be that anyone who wants it can get one that's um, a good point that, that's my impression so shall we shall we dive into the the actual content? For sure, yeah, yeah. Let's go for it. So so to begin with, the guests begin arriving, and today's party is just for the Ningguo and Rongguo branches of the Jia clan. 
correct? Like, I, I don't see any other guests who aren't within that immediate kind of inner circle, right? Right. Um, although I, I do believe they mention that, uh, you know, cards and birthday presents from various uh, princes and dukes arrive. Uh, correct, correct. So it's kind of known that this is his birthday and lots of people send gifts and, and regards. But absolutely, the attendees, I think, are just close family. So we kind of get to see a f almost like a full lineup of who the important uh, family members are for both branches. And there's a little slightly delicate moment right at the beginning. Grandmother Jia does not show up. Yes, yes. She has a good excuse, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, so initially, the, the, the Ning branch of the family, the ones, the ones hosting, they assume that she has chosen not to attend because, uh, because in some way it goes against propriety. So because even though she's probably a, about the same age as uh, Jia Jing, so Grandmother Jia is kind of the matriarch of the wrong branch, and Jia Jing is kind of the patriarch of the Ning branch. So they are about the same age, and they occupy, a, mm, I suppose, a, a fairly similar, yeah, a comparable position. Uh, not exactly the same. But despite this, because technically Grandmother Jia is a generation older than Jia Jing, and so in some way it might be perceived as improper for her to have been invited as a guest to his birthday because she is yeah she's of the older generation and so they think oh maybe this is why she hasn't turned up but then Wang Shifeng in terms and informs them that she actually just has diarrhea there's a nice story attached to it yeah. though uh <laughs> yeah in the hawk's translation it reads uh grandmother had been intending to come then yesterday evening she saw Bao Yu eating some peaches and the greedy old thing couldn't resist trying one herself. Mm. She only ate about two-thirds of a peach, but she had to get up running twice in the early hours. Uh, and this morning, she still felt rather poorly, mm. et, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> which I, I, I like that story, though. I, I think it's kind of nice. Uh, you can imagine Bao eating a peach, and she wants to uh, yeah. also wants to partake. But even this kind of... When you get old, even these you know small, symbolic kind of like... Uh, elements of youth uh become kind of inaccessible to you yeah uh so even even eating a peach is kind of like an adventure a risk yeah absolutely so she has this kind of like a minor and sudden brief illness uh from mm -hmm. from eating a peach and contrasted to that you have Qin Shi's much more serious chronic um chronic illness which is also a big you know topic of conversation that is interesting. That's a really good way to frame it, I think, because that's basically the next thing they start talking about. Mm. Uh, everyone's asking, "How is Chinka Ching? Is she getting better at all? What's going on?" Yeah, and unfortunately, there's not really any answer. Everyone has the same kind of pop diagnosis, which is, "Could she be pregnant?" To which the answer is, "No, of course not." But it is notable the way that several different people all say the same, all say the same thing. And it seems like the phrase that they use fairly consistently, both in this chapter and the previous one, when talking about whether she's pregnant, is the character Xi, which is, it means kind of like happiness, good fortune. Uh, it's one part of the character, the, the, the word Xi Huan, to like. And it's, I don't know, it's just an interesting euphemism to me. Uh, I, you know, I guess the English, that w the English term that people will use is uh, expecting. And that's in fact what it says in the Hawks. Couldn't she be expecting, said Lady Xiong, uh, which is, again, uh, expecting. Expecting what? What do you mean? Um, and in this, you know, uh, they use uh, she like, has she got, you know, happy news sort of thing. 
but no, sadly, she um, she is not expecting. She's just uh, she has this kind of mysterious chronic illness. And we get a sense in this chapter uh, of her closeness with Wang Shifeng, um, who even just in the moment when they are discussing her illness in a more casual manner, mm. she becomes emotional, uh, visibly emo- emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we we what we learn is that just reading from the Hawks here. So Lady Wang asks, what exactly is wrong with her? And Yoshu replies, it's a very puzzling illness. At mid-autumn last month, when she got back from playing cards half the night with you and Lady Jia, she seemed perfectly all right. But from the 20th onwards, she seemed to get more and more tired and listless every day, too tired even to eat. She's been like that for more than a fortnight now, and it's two months since she had a period. So we know that she's been sick uh, a while. What do you think the significance here was of the mid-autumn festival? Because I, I can remember in the first chapter, there are a series of bad things that befall the character Zhen Shiyin, and they all happen at the what you call the liminal moment. Right. Or time uh, in the middle of the lunar month, which again is mid-autumn. Like mid-autumn, I think, is the... Is, I or, or during the Lantern Festival, uh, Yuan Xiaojie. Yeah. So mid-autumn festival is the 15th day of the 8th lunar month. So again, it's exactly it's that middle point um, in the month. Uh, and, and it was again, yesterday for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's very current, the time of recording. That's a very good question. Yeah, I don't... I hadn't thought entirely whether that is some kind of message in this case. Mm-hmm. It seems... It's, uh, 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 it just seems to me that these, these moments are... They're fateful somehow. There are times at which unexpected things can occur, both good and bad. And this is perhaps an example. Although in this case, do we think that there may be ascribing too much significance to it? Because she got back from playing cards half the night with you and Lady Jar at mid-autumn, so on the 15th day of the month. From the 20th day onwards, she seems to get more and more tired and listless. So you're talking about five days later. And mm-hmm. so I, I can't... I don't see necessarily that the two are kind of causally linked, right? Right. I might f- kind of uh, zoom out here, and my sense is if something bad is about to happen to a character, mm. um, we can talk about whether this is actually based on real events. But when you have, you know, approaching winter, you have, you know, uh, kind of an approaching darkness. And that, that kind of, that scene in a way, compliments um, ill fate. At the same time that this is a time period, both traditionally and presently, when one is most likely to get sick or for one's condition to worsen. Yeah. Traditionally, that was associated with the actual cold weather. I don't, I don't think that's actually how it, how it works scientifically, but that's that's the traditional, um, that's the idea of getting a cold, mm. right? Where you associate uh, the cold weather with um, seasonal conditions which actually might be connected more closely with staying inside more often and being in closer contact with other individuals and maybe eating food that's not as fresh uh or having you know a a less balanced diet for various reasons yeah right Uh, but all of these these factors get uh congealed in the wind which is kind of an experience at the same time as it's a, a metaphor that would be my that's kind of my read of what's going on both in terms of what the author is doing and what also might be reflected here. Um, I, I, I think that that's right. Yeah. Okay. So 
do we want to dive into the section where uh, Wang Xifeng pays a visit to Xin Shi? I think so. Yeah, that's the next main event. I would say in this chapter. Yeah. So Wang Xifeng and uh, Jia Baoyu both、mm. go to to see her, and it's a rather kind of、uh, somber, sad conversation. It feels like Qin Shi has kind of given up a bit. She she doesn't see much chance of of her being of her being、uh, cured or of, you know her her recovering. I would say maybe the tone. So we've visited、uh, Qin Shi's bedroom before in, in Chapter Five, and that chapter was full of life and vitality and hope and promise. Yep. And now we are returning to the same.、Uh, the scene has definitely changed, even if a lot of the The symbols and the, the sensory items have, in a sense, re- remained the same. It's dramatic that you know it's only been、uh, six chapters, but a lot has changed in that time. Yeah,、uh, it, that that point I think is is a good one. It really drives home the the kind of contrast. She's taken over with this kind of、uh, sort of self sacrificing t- or like unworthy, self deprecating type attitude. You know, she says, "This is such a lovely family to have married into. Rong's parents treat me as if I were their own daughter." Rong may be young, but he respects me, and I respect him. There has never been a cross word between us, you know. And and she kind of carries on、uh, along this way.、Uh, however badly I want to, I shall never be able to repay any of the love you have shown me. I have a feeling inside of me, Auntie. I don't think I'm going to last the year out. And you know, I, on the one hand, I can understand this is just the kind of melancholy that maybe grips you when you are in the throes of some terrible illness. But I think also knowing what we know. This is maybe a kind of sign of guilt, almost. I mean, we know of Qin Shi that she is having an affair with her father-in-law, and so her suddenly waxing lyrical about how wonderful her family is to her and how undeserving she is of their their kind of affection and respect, and particularly her her husband's goodness, to me struck me as 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 certainly being tied to perhaps the feeling of guilt she feels for for、um, this particular infidelity. Although even in guilt, she definitely maintains an angelic quality. Yeah.、Um, yeah. We talked before about how the items in her room are impossibly—they're kind of mythical items that would be impossible for anyone to possess, especially、yeah. if she. I, I do believe what you mentioned—the her tone of voice, her manner of presentation—is a reflection of the pretty vast class difference between the jazz and the the chins, if you will. Right, yeah. I think her manner of speaking is definitely、uh, reflecting that. Okay, so so while they're talking, Bao Yu has done the kind of thing that that children or or teenagers do, which is to kind of zone out and think about their own things.、Mm. Uh, and he finds himself staring at the painting hanging on the wall. Now, this is、uh, a painting that we've seen before, as you mentioned, in Chapter Five, when Jia Bao Yu. Sleeps in Qin Shi's bedroom, and so I, I think it's worth just going back to chapter five and just just reminding ourselves of of what the painting is, what it what it depicts. So I have the quote here.、Right. Inside the room, there was a painting by Tang Yin, entitled "Spring Slumber," depicting a beautiful woman asleep under a crabapple tree, whose buds had not yet opened. The painting was flanked on either side by a pair of calligraphic scrolls. Inscribed with a couplet from the brush of the song poet Qin Guan. On one side, the coldness of spring has imprisoned the soft buds in a wintry dream. On the other side, 
The fragrance of wine has intoxicated the beholder with imagined flower scents. And so we reread those that couplet uh, in this chapter, in chapter 11. But yeah. it doesn't, we don't see what's in the, in the painting again. Um, but I, th I think it's quite a good one because it's, the imagery is, I suppose, fairly, it, it seems fairly clear to me, you know, beautiful young woman asleep under a tree whose buds had not yet opened. It, to me, is very suggestive of the idea of life not yet fully in bloom, you know? For sure. You know, when the tree puts forth buds, it's just about to flower, but it has not yet quite flowered. And perhaps that, you know, we should understand of, as being some kind of symbolic representation of, of Qin Shi. So she is, she's still very young at this point. I mean, they refer to her as child, you know, as a, as a child, as a as being young. And, and I think she's probably about 16 or 17, I think. And so she is in many ways a bit like the, the bud, you know, approaching the kind of her, her sort of flourishing the, the best years of her life, but not quite there yet. And so maybe being this kind of this pure potential, she is for the reader going to remain this, this wintry dream. Mm. She's not going to uh, ever, I think her character is not going to have the time, basically, to commit, you know, grievous errors, except maybe this adultery, which is only alluded to, uh, and and even it, the very form of it, it has this kind of mythic quality to it. You could imagine it straight out of Greek mythology, basically. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few things here where uh, we see Bao Yu's uh, connection to. Uh, to Chinsha, to Chinka Ching, yep. that I want to highlight here. This uh, rhyming couplet is the the poetry from which Bao Yu derives, uh, thinks up Hua Xiren's name. Okay, so Aroma, his 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 maid servant. Exactly, yeah, and so that's the uh, the imagined uh, flower sense or Fang Qi Xiren is uh, where he gets the name Xiren oh. to to attract. To be attracted to attract people yeah. or what have you and that's interesting because we saw after chapter five uh after bao yu learns the art of love he immediately uh applies that to uh shiren yeah and so there is this close connection even if maybe shiren is for for him you know it's not true love it's it's more a displacement of his passion for uh chinka ching mm -hmm. A kind of outlet for for better or for worse. I also wanted to maybe maybe get a little bit Uxing pilled, if you will allow. I will. For a moment. I will allow it. <laughs> and so my current the current state of my so I took my Uxing pill this morning and the current state of my kind of Uxing thinking and we're going to talk about this um, a little bit. Uh, basically, I have a. Um, a paper presentation that I'm going to be giving uh, tomorrow. And at the end of this episode, uh, hopefully uh, I'll be able to give a brief preview of that presentation and in the process, maybe, you know, um, practice my, uh, my rhetoric. And, and I'm, so I'm trying to come to terms with uh, this kind of this system, this correlational system that is, I'm not pre dispositioned toward liking because due to its connection with um, superstitious elements. At the same time, you, I really see it a lot in this story to the point now where I tend to associate different characters with different uh, colors or, or directions in the Wuxing system. 
and, and so, okay, this is this is, is going to jump the shark a little bit, but I associate uh, Chinka Ching with black and with water. Okay, and, and so, and it's it's kind of interesting because one of the reasons. That, that occurred to me, um, there's a few things kind of going on here. One of the reasons that occurred to me is that the, the Qin, the, the name Qin, if you go back to the uh, Qin dynasty, the first uh, Chinese dynasty, their official color, which was part of the Wuxing system, or the emerging Wuxing system at least, uh, was black. And, and so there already is this connection between Qin and black. But I was also thinking about how, how her name is Qin Kuching. And so black is actually uh, adjacent too green and green corresponds with spring and so we we see this poem where it's like you know she's so close to you know springing forth yeah but she's not going to get there you know the the coldness of spring has still imprisoned the soft the soft buds it's going to be a wintry dream later she's going to emerge in dreams she won't get to the state of reality she will always be in this potential uh, almost illusory state as a character, and that's where uh, that's kind of the her being uh, potential is that almost like the, the ke, like kui, like could. Yeah, she could be Ching, but it never actually happens, and that's her particular. Everyone has an ill fate, you know. A lot of the uh, female characters in the story have an ill fate, and, and her ill fate is never basically to be born, in the sense of to. Uh, to live a life and to be able to commit errors and, and to to learn from your mistakes and so on and so forth. Yeah, to never be able to actually, you know, burst forth and, and blossom. And so yeah, exactly. And so that's 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 a uh, that's a deep dish uh, wushing take. But I, I think that if you, I, I think it's something there. Uh, no, I think I think that's a good one. <laughs> I think that that is a it's an interesting one. Just just rereading the poem as we were going over it. I guess there's a point which we haven't quite touched on, which is. That second half about Xiren, about you know the aroma that that entices you, what you th- what you believe to be the smell of flowers, is in fact the the fragrance of alcohol. Yes, yeah. And the reason why is because the buds are still locked in their in their wintry dream. They have not yet blossomed, and so you see the buds and you believe that you smell flowers, but. Uh, no, the buds the buds have not yet blossomed, and what you're smelling is just is just the fragrance of alcohol. Right. It's it's very much an, an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. It's an illusion. It's 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 an artifice. I just found it very like very kind of striking as a as an image, you know. And to connect it back to Bao Yu again, his first time in uh, Qin Shi's room, his comment is uh, "Hao Shang." Yeah. Like uh, like how sweet smelling it mm. is, and so that's the same. Uh, the the word for the fragrance of wine is jiushang. Yeah. So it's the same. There seems to be a connection there, mm-hmm. where uh, the the one who is in, in this case the one who is intoxicated is Bao Yu. Yeah. Uh, just just as on a on a on a kind of linguistic point, and this is supposed to be a rhyming couplet, right? Yes. But but you can see how the pronunciation of the characters has changed over time because the end character in the first line is lung, uh, meaning cold. And the end character of the second line is xiang, meaning fragrant. And obviously lung and xiang don't really rhyme, uh, or perhaps just very, very faintly. But we know that Cao Xueqian was, he was kind of more Southern Chinese. And that xiang tends to become like a hung sound in, in Cantonese, for example. And I think this is also common in other forms of Southern Chinese. Uh, so you can see that 
because of the way that pronunciation has shifted over the time, what perhaps would have rhymed um, at the time this novel was written, or perhaps at the time that the poem was written in the in the Song Dynasty, um, so about nine hundred to a thousand years ago, uh, has now completely has now completely changed. Just an aside. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I guess yeah, it's like a, a near rhyme, but maybe uh, historically it was nearer. Yes. So Bao Yu is sitting there, all wrapped up in this painting and the and the poem that accompanies it. Um, when suddenly he becomes aware of what uh, Qin Shi, i.e. Qin Keqing, is saying, uh, that you know she, she may die, she may never recover, and he becomes terribly sad and and, and starts crying. And uh, so Wang Wang Xifeng, who herself is is kind of barely holding it together, kind of scolds him and you know tells him to to grow up because otherwise they're all just going to end up terribly sad and crying together. He's very sensitive. This is another. Uh demonstration of how sensitive he's a sensitive boy he is and in this case you know the first time we saw Wang Shifeng crying was over the the death of Lin Daiyu's mother but those tears seemed fake they seemed quite perfunctory but these tears are by contrast I think quite real uh, everything's real here even though we are you know so close to the land of illusion yeah I, I... I think that that's right. The the description that he has of the the feeling of hearing that she is you know maybe going to die is Wan Jian Zan Xin. So this is the yes yeah ten thousand arrows piercing his heart. Yeah, that was a, a great image. Yeah, it's 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 very it's very evocative, and it also it recalls an image in the previous chapter where one of the characters describes their heart being like a pincushion. I think it's a thousand needles piercing their heart when the when they think of Qin Shi and her illness, so I think you're 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 right to to bring up the the comparison between Lin Daiyu's mother, who she she is a, a woman of the Jia clan, uh, she's grandmother Jia's daughter, and so certainly some people would have been extremely sad about her death, but a lot of the rest it does seem like a kind of performative grief, whereas here it seems people are really deeply affected by it, and so. This is basically um, a Bao Yu, you know, takes early leave, you could say, leaving only Shifang and Qin Shi. They exchange a few more words, basically saying, Shifang uh, assures her that no matter the expenses, you know, even if, uh, it's really sad, actually, even if you need like a pound of ginseng, we'll give it to you. Yeah, every day. Which is a, a reminder uh, how terrible the medicine is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I read that, I'm like, oh... Oh, okay. Um, that's the that's the dark side of Wuxing. That's what I'm not. I'm trying to distinguish. Yeah. But we see, yeah, Qin Shi seems rather down. She says, even if he's a miracle man, death's a sickness none can cure, and I know that it's just a question of time now. Which is, um, yeah, she she's very pessimistic about the outlook. The prognosis is not good. No. Yeah. Let's follow. How about we follow uh, Wang Shifang? as she makes her way back to the party through the garden. Something important is going to happen uh, in the garden. Yeah. As things tend to. I mean, that's what happens. You walk through a garden, something's going to happen. Uh, and this is no exception. Should we... Do you want to work through the poem? Do you want to? Um, yeah, absolutely. Are you, are you feeling poetic? I am. I am. <laughs> so, so do you want me to read the hawks and then we can we can pick it apart in Chinese? Parse it. Okay, yeah. So Wang Xifeng is walking back through this garden on her way to return to the party. And we have a poem describing the, you know, the surroundings that she's walking through. And the Hawks translation is as follows. Golden chrysanthemums covered the open spaces. Silvery willow trees 
bordered the water's margins. The little bridge arched its span over a storied stream. The winding path made its way into a fairy hill. Crystal rills tinkled among the rocks. A quickset hedge recalled pre-autumnal fragrances. Crimson leaves fluttered upon the boughs. A wintry copse described calligraphic traceries. In the cold wind's more insistent blast, the oriole's cry could still be heard. In the late sun's more infrequent warmth, the cricket's chirp a while revived. At the far southeast end, pavilions nestled in artificial mountains. On the near northwest side, verandas brooded on circumjacent waters. Music of little organs playing in the summer house increased the melancholy in the air. Glimpses of women's dresses flitting through the little wood enhanced the delicacy of the scene. Okay, that was a great reading. <laughs> Circumjacent is a, a word I've not seen before. Um, 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 it's, a, it's a nice poem, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe too saccharine. I, I have a high tolerance for just, uh, I guess, lush imagery. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's nice. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Do you have any gardens in your day-to-day life? Uh, sadly, very few. Okay, see, that, that's what this book is for. It'll be the, a, a fake flower. Yeah, um, to supplement. Uh, I mean, the sad thing is there are a few nice gardens in Hong Kong, but most of the parks here are, are, are nothing like these sorts of gardens. Um, a public park in Hong Kong is normally mostly concrete, upon which are placed lots of tiles. Uh, and then there may be a few benches, and then periodically there are like planters, sort of plant pots. So quite, quite different from this uh, this sort of thing. There are places in mainland China uh, where the, the wrong mansion is reproduced uh, almost in full size. Wow. Uh, yeah, there's, um, there's some dedicated fans out there. Uh, so I, I've been... I've I've seen pictures. I've never visited any of these um, kind of like Epcot, but for this novel. So, so where 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 <laughs> um, can you find these uh, these invitations? Oh, I don't remember. I'm gonna have to look it um, up because I think that sounds amazing. I, I think the the, the borders <laughs> with China are. I mean, the borders are open, but it's going to be easier to travel back and forth between between here and the mainland. And it's just about the only place you can travel from Hong Kong at the moment without having to go into quarantine. So, oh, uh, right. Okay, well then that would be a <laughs> that's a trip. That'd be yeah. an excellent field trip. Go yeah. and do, exactly, go and do field work. Um, do a live uh, or do a, a live recording. Absolutely. From... <laughs> <laughs> do you want to? Did you have any particular notes on the language or maybe some imagery? I was I was searching for you know symbolic meaning as always. I mostly just enjoyed it for the for the image imagery that it described and i tried to think about what the function of the poem was because he you know the author loves to drop bits of poetry into into sections of prose but there's normally a reason for doing it it's normally not just for enhancing the the kind of description of the surroundings or 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 whatever uh i, I guess in this case it's serving as a kind of hinge between the melancholy of the previous scene with Qin Shi kind of not quite on her deathbed, but, but having kind of given up hope of um, getting better uh, and the coming scene where she encounters Jia Rei in the, in the garden. 
And I think it's particularly the contrast with the previous scene, which is accentuated by this poem, um, because it's quite a kind of beautiful one, albeit a slightly kind of fragile beauty. You know, it's it has the quality of of autumnal or early winter um, nature. You know, with the sun slanting quite low in the sky and the, definitely a crisp coldness in the air. And maybe again, I think the party is a part of the scene, but in the at the periphery of perception yeah it's in the background right. were the glimpses of women's dresses actual or is that a metaphor um are those the women of the party coming through uh from the summer house was that the idea i suppose so i suppose so but you can't ever dismiss the idea that it's just purely a fiction right mm. okay yeah i mean it seems like a garden is a great place not only to reflect but also for um, for sounds to uh, reverberate and, and resonate. And so, yeah, I, I really, as I said before, the best part of a party is going away from the party and having a moment of uh, quiet contemplation. Mm. Um, and so that's why I, I like this scene. I, I also think there is a sense where it is perfect for a moment, even with the, the melancholy of um, uh, Chinka Ching's illness. There's a moment of peace and serenity and it's as if a, a snake is about to emerge in the garden i don't know if that's giving it an overly no i think i think that's a good way of putting it. christian reading or something but that really seems like the this perfect scene is about to be shattered ever so slightly 